Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Mosh, your host of Task Force X. What, are we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is. While Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title in all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho... Hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them, oh, so many years ago. Mother... That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go ahead and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. Welcome to Task Force X, episode 35. We're still here, still in business, and I'm back. Uh, this episode, we're going to be dealing with Checkmate number 13 and Suicide Squad number 24. Before we start this actual episode and I start covering the issues, uh, the first we're going to cover is Checkmate 35. But before I get that far, real quick, last uh, couple episodes I've been talking about the invasion. Uh, was it two episodes ago I talked about the Checkmate portion of the invasion? And I was kind of curious if this was written for the invasion or if it was something that uh, Paul had on file and he just changed it around for the invasion. Well, I talked to Mr. Kupperber, the wonderful Paul, on uh, Facebook about this issue. I asked him, you know, just curious if this was something that was written for the invasion or, you know, the background on it. And he says, actually, honestly, after, because again, this has been, what, 30 years ago? He said he doesn't remember the story, actually. He doesn't remember if it was for the invasion or he can't remember any details on it. So at this point, uh, we're never going to know if this was written for the invasion or if it was something he modified for the invasion because he, he doesn't remember even writing the invasion crossover. So that's how little it meant. So uh, moving on to this actual issue, though, this is Checkmate 35. I'm sorry, Checkmate 13. Cover dated March of 1989. On sale was January the 17th of 1989. The cover price was a buck fifty. Edited by Jonathan Peterson. The title of this story was... A Night in the Tropics, written by our buddy, as I just mentioned, Paul Kupperberg, penciled by Steve Irwin and Rick Hoberg, inker was Alvey, letter Augustine Moss, colorist Juliana Freder, and the cover was done by Art T. Bear. The synopsis, Harry Stein takes his children to a Caribbean resort for a vacation. Although he tries to avoid work, he spots Bart Drake, a criminal who's already had one run of checkmate in Chicago. Harry begins following Jake and realizes that the crook is planning to rob the Bonko World Amusement Park. Harry works with the security chief Tillis to stop Drake and his crew without Harry's boys learning that their dad is involved. Now for my actual thoughts on the issue. As usual, we'll start off the cover. This cover's got the Checkmate logo, and then it's put into three sections. It says three times the action, three times the thrills. The cover, one panel of it, it's separated three long panels. One panel shows a checkmate knight dodging a car. The second mate, the second panel 
shows our uh, checkmate night from last issue, flying the space shuttle over, uh, looks like a beach scene. In the third panel, uh, we see two guys facing each other with guns drawn. Can't really make out who they are. Uh, one's Harry Stein, the other one we're not sure who it is offhand at this point. But I, I can tell you it's more than likely it's Drake, which we're going to find out more about here in a little bit. Uh, overall, this is a good cover. Um, I think it's a little misleading. Because uh, as we as I heard the synopsis, they didn't even talk about the Checkmate Night in the Space Shuttle. I'll mention that when we get there, but that's a very small part of the story. Just kind of like, oh, by the way, here's this. Though I guess, you know what? Having said that, I'm going to take that back because it actually... We only see the night at the very end, but we do get references without referencing it throughout the issue, which I'll get to as I go through the story itself and look at the issue. Again, none of that was really commented on in the synopsis, but I'll touch on that. So we start our story out in Chicago. We got this guy, a mustache, smoking a cigarette with a white stripe down the middle of his head. Got dark hair, brown, black hair, black hair, I guess. With a white stripe going down, kind of like a skunk. Uh, he's getting a, a package from a lady. And we find out his name's Drake. And after she gives him the package, he pulls it out, see what's in there, tucks it away, pulls his gun out and shoots her. And like this, you're on the bottom of page one. She's like, well, how about give me my mind? You know, give me money so I can get out of here. And he's like, oh, I'll get your payoff, sweetheart. Right here. And then he shoots her a couple more times. Keep the change. It's a this great guy's killing this woman in essentially cold blood, but it makes me chuckle the way he's like, oh, here's your money, and here's the change. You know, keep the change. It's just kind of funny. Made me chuckle. After we get done, again, we get the night. I've said almost every issue. I'm going to say it this time. I love the design of the night costume. I think it's a great costume. Uh, the black on yellow just really... I don't know, it's just a really, really great costume. I love the design of it. Whenever I see it show up in another comic or anywhere, I see this knight costume. It just makes me smile. Uh, with the knight, he jumps out and he tells, he, through their thoughts, he's telling us, the, you know, his journal, whatever it is. He's facing down Bart Drake. Uh, this came out, as I said, in 89. Makes me wonder, wonder, wonder. Who wrote the Book of Love? No. Uh, it makes me wonder if, if it's related to Tim Drake. I doubt it. Tim Drake wasn't even a twinkle in a writer's eye at this point, but <laughs> it just made me laugh. Uh, but here at the bottom, we get the knight fighting with uh, Drake. They tussle a little bit. He uses his staff to both have to disarm the Drake. Uh, they fight a little bit, and Drake gets the better of him. He's able to take off running through the alley. The knight chases him, and then we get the scene from the cover with a car barreling down on our night. It's a snowy scene. A snowy scene? A snowy street. Snow's falling. There's snow all over, so the guy can't stop in time. The knight does his fantastic leaps and leaps out of the way, which allows Drake to escape. So I enjoy that little panel there. They're just a little... He flips over. Again, this is only a couple of pages, but that's the first part of the story we're going to call it from the cover. Well, I say that's it's not really misleading, but it makes it sound like this part's going to be a bigger part, but it's only the first couple pages. Most of the story is the, the scene with uh, with Harry in the Caribbean or whatever with his kids. It's where the, most of the story takes place. Uh, this is it for this part, really. 
And then we get to the Caribbean island republic of Playa Tranquilla. And, you know, we get Harry narrating that, you know, he's here doing daddy duty, taking his kids, makes them happy. Because especially his older boy, he's, I think he's at 13 at some point, is really upset. And again, he's really giving his dad grief. They're getting there. They're getting off the. Uh, they're getting off at the airport. And, uh, they're talking about how it's snowing back home, and Harry's like, "You'll be getting a snowman here, Matt. Matt. Try that again." He says, "You won't be making any snowman here, Matt. This trip is sounded fun." And his older boy says, "Sure, unless you left your phone number at the office, huh?" And he's like, "You know, I did, but I gave orders not to call me unless it's a matter of life or death." And he's like, "You're right, Dad." So again, he's a little upset. Uh, the older boy's a little upset with his dad that his dad spends a lot of time at work, but we know what his dad does. So again, as an adult looking at the story, I I, I kind of blame—I don't want to say blame—I blame the kid for his hostility towards his father, having been a single father at one time. I know how important a job is—you have to make money, even though you want to spend time with your family. You, you got to pay the bills. Plus, Harry's not, you know, flipping burgers at McDonald's. He's doing stuff to keep our nation safe. But I don't know how much his sons know of that. I know he's, they've seen, they've been to the Checkmate headquarters, I'm not mistaken. But I don't know how much they really know what their father does. So, but again, coming from a kid's point of view, I can kind of understand how, you know, he's upset that his dad's not around. But someone's got to save the world. Someone's got to earn the money to have a hot roof over your head. So again, as, a, as an adult, it's had made these tough calls. It's been a single father. I understand Harry's point of view exactly. And again, Harry, a cop, lifelong cop. Like later on the story, he says like for 18 years, he sees Drake, our bad guy from earlier. And he doesn't recognize him. But he, he does look familiar. He's not, he can't place where he's from. But again, he's like, oh, you know what? It's daddy time. Let's shake my hand over that. I'm not going to worry about it. And then we get to Bunko World with the giant penguin as our mascots. And uh, Harry and his kids go on the ride. And is he on the ride again? Harry's got really good eyesight because he's on top of this roller coaster. And he sees Drake walking down this, the parkway, whatever you want to call it. And he recognizes from that distance. So he's got pretty good eyes if you ask me. Again, as I'll say through this entire book, because I say every episode, every issue, I look at Checkmate. I love the artwork in here. I think the art was a done fantastically. The art was done fantastic. That's right. I think Steve Irwin is a fantastic artist for Checkmate. He's got that real world sensibility, if you will. It's not too dark. It's not too cartoon cartoony. I just love his artwork. And then we cut back to Coning Industries in Shelby, Virginia. We get to find out that uh, Harvey Bullock got left in charge of the office while Harry's gone. Again, Harvey Bullock. Of Batman fame of more recent Gotham, the TV show. Those is kind of a different Bullock, but not too much. He's you know he's still unshaved, smoking. So he's very much like the Gotham. And I can't remember if I've talked about this episode before or the show before. I think Donald Logal does a very good job of playing Bullock. He's a little overweight. He's shoveled. He's a very good actor for that. He's doing a good job. But again, Harry, you know, uh, Harvey's sitting here talking about, you know, and this is where I said from the cover where it's got the night in the space shuttle, how it covers through the, carries through the story. 
Harvey Snake, you know, it's a fine time for him to go on vacation. We, you know, we got the whole invasion thing. We're just getting cleaned up. We got a space shuttle uh, stranded in orbit with one of our knights. And there's a reference here to the last issue where she had to take out the pilot because he tried to defect to the aliens. And so he calls Har uh, Har uh, Harvey calls Harry. H is here. And Harry's going to take care of the problem. He's going to tell him what to do. But about that time, his son walks in. He's like, you know what? On second thought, you're in charge. You handle it. And hangs up and he tells his son that, you know what? That's the wrong number. Let's go get some dinner. So okay, he's trying to not let his kids know that he is doing work when he has to. Because he doesn't want to upset the kids anymore than they are. So a weekend dad kind of type of thing. So... But then we get to another spot at the uh, the same area where Harry's at. And we see our buddy Drake. And he's in there, he got his crew. And they're talking about robbing the casino. And again, this page isn't numbered. It looks like it's probably about page seven. Uh, their introduction here is a little forced. Uh, we get the bottom panel where we show Harry's, or Harry, Drake's crew. And he says they already know each other. And he introduced the first guy is uh, Milo Mazelbaum. I can't hard for me to make it out. The lottery's a little blurry. And then the rest, uh, then we get the next guy introduces himself. We encounter old Barry Carlson, the hat spot the muscle. And now here will help with inside information. He's got guys introducing himself by his name. And the fourth guy is the same thing. Must be a tough safe. Anyone who calls on Seal Tanner must be expecting some explosive fireworks. This guy's got a patch. I think the, the introduction, yes, we needed to know these guys. We need some exposition. But I think, again, not to second guess a great writer like Paul Kupperberg, but I think it would have been better suited if they didn't know each other. And Drake introduced them. That way they could introduce them to us at the same time. Again, just a small quibble. It doesn't affect the overall narration of the story, the overall flow of the story. It's just a little ham-fisted introduction, I think. But uh, moving on, again, he just outlines the, the job. We move along. And basically the story is Harry's doing the rise of his kids. He'll see Drake, who he doesn't recognize. He, he still doesn't know who this is at this point, but he's uh, an unknown mystery guy. And so where he can, he lets the kids go on rides by themselves just so we can get, you know, find out more about this guy. Here on page nine, it looks like. The kids are on a ride. He goes over and hangs out drinking a lemonade and starts trying to make conversation with Drake. And Drake's kind of not listening. He's looking at other things. And you can tell that Drake's watching the, the guards uh, carting away the cash receipts from the concession stands. And he's kind of scoping the place out. And again, before Drake could take his leave, Harry, being a cop, ex-cop, being neither checkmate, is quick-witted. And he notices that, the, uh, that Drake's using a Cigarette pack from a certain hotel. So he keeps that in mind. And the next thing he goes talk to the security officer, Tillis, who we talked about in the synopsis. And after Tillis checks out his identification, makes sure Harry is who he says he is, they talk about it. And, and Tillis goes over and shows them their security and assures them that they've already been tried. People tried to rob them several times already. And they're ready for anything. So Harry's like, you know what? You guys, this is your guys' job. 
you guys are on it. I'm out of here. I'm going back to my vacation. And then he goes down. And again, this is what I was talking about. The, uh, the cover with that middle photo of the shuttle. Again, we don't see the shuttle until the very end. But we do get Harry trying to get... Uh, Harvey trying to get messages through to Harry. And he doesn't say what it is. Just that there's uh, several messages from Mr. Bullock. He insists it's urgent. And like here on the bottom of page 11, it looks like. When he's checking at the front desk, uh, the guy's like, Excuse me, Mr. Stein, you have several messages all from Mr. Bullock. He insists it's, he insists it's urgent. So is my vacation. Thanks. So Stein kind of blows Harvey off, lets Harvey take care of the job. So as I said, he spent time with his family. And not only that, but he's also, as the kids are down for the night, he goes to the casino that he saw Drake have the uh, matches for. And he sees him, you know, watching security and watching for the people coming in. And he recognizes one of the guys that comes in is Benny Carson from New York. And so the next day, Harry's taking the kids around the park and narrating to us through his inner monologue that without his kids knowing, he checked in with headquarters and found that his new playmate is a guy called Bart Drake, wanted for murder in Chicago, that one of our nights stumbled upon, that we talked about at the beginning of the, episode, uh, the, beginning of the issue. He lets his kids go to the show by themselves. And while they're doing that, he decides to go check out, see what he can find out, so he can locate Drake on his own. He bumps into like this here at the bottom of page 13, it looks like. He bumps into a penguin. Uh, he's like, sorry, pal, I guess I wasn't watching where I was going. That's perfectly all right, sir. And here at the end it says, what I wouldn't get to one of what I wouldn't get give to run into one of those guys. So you know that penguin ran into was one of those guys just because he made that comment mentally. And we follow the penguin in. Behind him comes another guy in park uniform. And we see it's one of Drake's men throwing a smoke canister in. Not necessarily a smoke canister, but I guess it's a, uh, a tranquil gas. Knockout gas. Knocked everyone out. And another guy comes walking up about that time, so he punches him in the face, knocks him out. And then we see the penguin that we can assume that Harry ran into earlier, and he pulls his mask off, and it's again, it's another one of Drake's men. And so Harry borrows the mic from one of the, the park guys, the walkie-talkie from one of the park guys, because he sees Drake again, and he wants to report it. So he reports in through dispatch to Chief Tillis. Unfortunately for Harry, the dispatch guy is, again, one of Drake's men. So he patches him through, and he lets him know he sees Drake, and something's on the up and up, or something's, on, something's up. That's what I'm looking for. And at this point, he keeps Harry. Harry keeps contacting the chief, or trying to contact the chief through dispatch. But again, since this is Drake's guy in dispatch, he tells him how messages along, which he doesn't do whenever Chuck Tillis calls in. Well, I haven't heard from Harry Stein, sir. Sorry. So he's not getting the messages across. And finally, Tillis and Stein meet up, and like this. Tillis is like, Stein, where's Drake? Weren't you staying with him? And Drake's there. Uh, Harry's like, I left word with for you with dispatch. Dispatch said you had checked it. Damn it, Stein. What's going on here? And that's when Harry realizes that the uh, control room has been compromised. About this time, 
we get the one-eyed man with the eye patch setting explosives down at the main generator, the main uh, power area. And again, um, I went through all this in the synopsis. The, the bank robbery, the bank robbery, the hotel robbery uh, starts. Again, here on page uh, 19, 18 and 19, one of, again, I forget all their names. One of Drake's guys comes up and he, again, secure, in park security uniform says, Hey, I'm one of the new guys. Uh, I'm running shotgun. And one of the guys that's inside the money room is like, Hey, the more the merrier if there's trouble coming. And then Drake's man pulls out a uh, Uzi and says, Did I say shotgun? I meant Uzi and just blows him away. Uh, Carson was the guy's name with the gun. Again, so we got the little, the little, uh, Bank robbery or the casino robbery going on, and Harry finally heads to the uh, what is it? Uh, the island's airport. There's a, a security tunnel going directly to the tunnel to the, air, the island's airport. So he goes down there. He finds Drake trying to get away. They have a little shootout. And here on page twenty-one, it looks like. Uh, the security alarm's finally going off. Tillis' men have cleared up and caught all the other bad guys. So Drake knows that he, you know, his, his men are down. So as Drake takes off, Stein pulls his gun out and shoots him in the leg, causes him to fall down, and the, the rolling door comes down and crushes That doesn't kill him, but it pins him to the ground. <laughs> and uh, here at the bottom of the page... What page did I say it was? Page 21. Here he comes up. Hey, man. Hope this is during your vacation, but you're busted, pal. Thanks for the light. And lights a match off the guy's head, light a cigarette. It's rather funny. And these are the all well then well. And here at the very last page, actually, I guess second to the last page, uh, we get that scene, the other scene from the cover with the knight and one of the pilots for the shuttle. And again, here it's a splash page. On page, again, my pages aren't numbers, so I'm guesstimating. 24, 23, like page 22, it's a splash page, it looks like. I've got this digitally, so I'm not sure looking at the actual issue. The Space Shuttle Alliance, a really cool page. You get the only problem in quotes with it. It looks like the shuttle has already bypassed the ocean. And it's already landed on the beach. You have people running on the beach trying to get away from it. But then the next panel shows it hitting the water. I think, and it just like it splashes down. It doesn't look like it hit and skidded or anything. So I, it, that's my only real issue with this is that the proportions is out of whack. Because up earlier on the same page, up higher, we see the shuttle and it looks like it's headed right towards the casino area or the park, quite, quite tail. But it looks like it's missing the, the ocean completely. Below that, it looks like it's past the ocean that's over the beach, but then the last panel on this page shows it splashing down right in the, the water. So uh, the perspective on this is a little screwed up, I think, in my opinion. I, I don't... I don't know. It's, again, I love the artwork. It's great art. It's a great story. Just a minor little quibble for, for a really good story. And for a wrap-up to the previous two issues, it's... It's a good story, and it's a good wrap-up. It's just that, that last page there is kind of a little wonky. But, <laughs> and so Harry's standing on the beach of his boys, and 
Is that is that one of the shows or something? That's real special, isn't it, Dad? And all Harry or Harvey uh, Harry is in there saying he's like Harvey. <laughs> the uh, hatch opens up and the knight's like, um, "Would you leave? Take us to your leader." And I like this here at the end. It's like I don't know how he that fast log managed it, but I almost guarantee he did this on purpose. Guess I'll teach me not to take his calls. And again, so we can assume that's what Harry was calling. I keep saying Harry. Harry. I, we can assume that's what Harvey was calling about this entire time. Because again, he mentioned at the very beginning, uh, what do I do with the space shuttle where I set him down at? And I don't know if Harvey had the wherewithal to actually get the shuttle to land right where Harry's at. Probably half a sense more than anything. But again, it was a good issue. Although this last page, we see the knight jumping out of the shuttle into the water. People swimming out to the shuttle to help out. It's good. I enjoyed the story. Again, I love Paul Kupperberg's writing. I love Steve, Steve Irwin's artwork on it. So overall, fantastic. Next month says Blackthorn. Special guest stars and three special stories by guest artists. Todd Smith, Paris Collins, and Eduardo Moreno. Like I said, I enjoyed Checkmate. Good artwork, good story. Uh, very well done. Just that one minor little quibble. But, eh, what am I going to say? Uh, that's going to do it for this issue. Let's go and take a break. Let's listen to some podcast promos, and I'll be right back with you. We'll be back after this break. Don't touch that dial for goodness sake. Hello there. This is Jared Albrick, a.k.a. The Yard Sale Artist, with a quick podcast promo for my show, Comics with Normies. Here's how the show works. Using my yard sailing skills, I acquire a random comic book from a yard sale. I then give said random comic to a normie. A normie being a person who doesn't normally read comic books. Then, on the show, I'll sit down with the normie to discuss the issue. Get a real outsider's point of view and see what some of the comics that we love, and maybe not love so much, seem like to those normal folks we see walking around on the streets each day. It should be a fun perspective and good for a few laughs. You can check out the Comics with Normies podcast, along with some other fun-filled podcasts from White Rocket Entertainment, on iTunes and at whiterocket.podbean.com. And feel free to join the show using Twitter handle at Normies Podcast or on Facebook at Comics with Normies. Once again, you can find Comics with Normies on iTunes and at whiterocket.podbean.com. We'll see you there. Hey there, everyone. It's your old buddy, Head. You know, Aaron Moss, over at the Head Speaks Podcast. I'm still here, and so is my podcast. Starting in November, and for however many months it takes, we're going to put the Adam aside for a little while, and we're going to look at DC Comics Armageddon 2001 crossover. Join me and some of my other podcasting and internet friends as we take a look at, well, Armageddon 2001. A hero today becomes a villain tomorrow. Join us and find out who. On the Headcast Network, Armageddon 2001, along with a lot of my usual segments. Come check us out. Available at head.headspeaks.com, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else you find your podcasts at. Come check us out.
rocketed as a baby from the doomed planet Krypton. Young Kal-El was found by a kindly couple and raised as Clark Kent. He discovered that he possessed powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men, and thanks to the upbringing he received from the Kents, he vowed to use those powers to help all mankind. This, in a nutshell, is the origin of Superman, and while the specific details have changed over the years, the overall idea of the origin has remained the same. My name is Michael Bailey, and I host a podcast called It All Comes Back to Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman is the monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, and since it is Superman's 80th birthday in 2018, I thought it would be fun to look at how Superman's origin has changed and evolved over the years in an eight-part series I'm calling Superman, Superman, Many Lives, Many Many Origins. Many Lives, Many Origins will go decade by decade and see how the Man of Steel's backstory was portrayed in the comics, on the radio, on television, and in the movies. How has Krypton changed over the decades? What about the Kents? I'll also be looking at the origins of some of my favorite members of Superman's rogues gallery, such as Lex Luthor, Brainiac, and Metallo. Superman. Superman. Many Many lives, many origins. An examination of the backstory of the Man of Steel to celebrate his 80th year. This eight-part series starts on April 30th, 2018. You can find It All Comes Back to Superman and the other shows in the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. Check out those shows. There's some great promos I played for some great shows. Yes, one of them is mine. I have started my Armageddon 2001 mega crossover. Not necessarily a crossover, mega event where I'm having podcast hosts from other shows come on and join me and talk about the Armageddon 2001. I'm enjoying it. Some great comics, some great guests. Check it out. Also, Comics for Normies. My buddy uh, Jared Albrick, a.k.a. Yard Cell Artist, who's over my G.I. Joe podcast normally. He does that one. That's a great show. And it all comes back to Superman. One of my go- uh, podcast, podcasting? podcasting godfathers of my shows, Michael Bailey, talks about, well, Superman. Because that's one of his favorite characters. If not his favorite character. But enough about these other guys. Let's talk about my show. Because that's what I'm here for. Uh, we're going to look at our second issue of the episode, which is Suicide Squad number 24, cover date of February of 1989, on sale January the 10th of 1989. This cost $1, edited by Robert Greenberger. The title of this one was called Sling and Arrows. Writer was John Ostinger and Kim Yell. Pencil was Luke McDonald. Inker Carl Kiesel. Letter Todd Klein. Colorist Carl Gafford. The cover was done by Luke McDonald and... Inked by Carl Kessel, or Kessel. I've heard it pronounced both. I usually pronounce it Kessel, but more recently I've heard a lot of podcasters pronounce it Kessel, so I don't know how it's pronounced. Sorry, Carl, for listening. And if I'm not mistaken, I, as I said, the penciler was Luke McDonald. I have been praising this man for the last 24 issues or so, 23 episodes, or 23 issues, I guess. It wasn't every episode. But anyways, the last 23 issues I've been praising this man. I'm going to do it one last time. Not that his artwork changes, but the artwork's changing. Next issue, which we'll get to next month, we're going to have a new uh, 
Inkara, or a new penciler on the job. So we'll get to that next month. So Luke McDonald, this is issue 24 of Suicide Squad. This is his last issue. Issue? Issue. It's mentioned in the, the letter column. My hat's off to you. I don't have a hat on, but if I had a hat, I'd take it off. You've done a magnificent job of the last 24 issues, and uh, I love your artwork on this, Luke. Thanks very much for the, the pleasure this has given me. Uh, this was reprinted in the Suicide Squad Rose Trade Paperback, which came out in 2016. Also a little note, and again, all this information for this, I think I forgot to announce it last time. The synopsis and all the information, as usual, came from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, a great site. It's what most of us podcasters use. Uh, another note on here, this is one of my own notes. Actually, it came from Mike's also. Uh, this is Shrike's first appearance post-crisis. Uh, we'll get to her in just a minute. But just want to throw that out. This is her first post-crisis appearance. And I'll mention her in a little bit when we get going with the story. The synopsis. Again, thanks, Mike, for this. Following the public exposure of the Suicide Squad activities, Amanda Waller is called to testify before a Senate committee led by Warren Eden, who we know as Nightshade's daddy, Evian. To ensure that the individual squad members are unavailable to give testimony, Waller sends them on a mission to East Africa to rescue Sister Agnes Martinhoe, Nemesis quits the group rather than comply with Waller's orders. Simon the Grieve also tenders his resignation. The Bronze Tiger leads the squad to Africa, where they locate the rebel camp where Martun is believed to be held. They arrive too late as troops from the African nation's current government has already attacked the camp. They have taken Martun and have no intentions of setting her free. Uh, so a big, big issue. Again, we're losing Luke McDonald. Simon the Grievous quits. Nemesis has quit. Uh, plus, we'll find out more. So now for my thoughts on this issue, as usual, we will start with the cover because that's the place to start, at least as far as I'm concerned. The cover, we see Sheba in the background, the helicopter dropping off her team. Being dropped off, we see Shrike, who I mentioned earlier, Count Vertigo, Bronze Tiger, Vixen, Duchess, and what was his name? Raven from the Jihad. Uh, overall, it's a good cover. Only problem I have with it, and it's not really the artist's fault, is that to me, Shrike comes off as kind of a Vixen knockoff wannabe. And apparently Shrike showed up in the Detroit Justice League and fought Vixen there. And that's probably where she was taken down before she showed up here. But I'm not familiar with her. So, again, she's brown-skinned, it looks like. She's got the Vixen Wolverine hairstyle. She's got, like, a, a bathing suit with a mesh front on it. Rags wrapped around her arms. Looks like she has a pointed tail. And she, I don't know if she can fly. Again, I'm not familiar with Shrike. But she's in the air along with Count Vertical. The rest of the team's on the ground. <laughs> That's my only criticism. And again, it's not a criticism so much of the cover, just the character. Maybe her play, because yeah, she's right above Vixen. So it's... I like this cover, just where I see it, I think it's a knockoff Vixen. So, and we'll get that here in a little bit, I guess. But yeah, overall, it's a good cover. Uh, we got Bronze Tiger front and center, ready to take on some bad guys. Uh, we got Duchess back there with a gun ready. It's a good action cover. It shows they're getting ready. We got some guns in the foreground from off panel. The gun barrel sticking into the scene. It's a good cover. Let's know what we'll get ready for. Some action.
And then we start out the court scene. We get Amanda Waller with her, her uh, lawyer sitting there. And basically we get a recap of everything that came up to here. That there was a memo released from late, late Senator Joe Cray and Assistant Derek Tolliver were both killed. And they're wondering if the Suicide Squad had anything to do with their deaths. Uh, it goes along and we get a little bit about backstory about Amanda, how she came to Washington as an aide for Marvin Collins, and she's the head of the Suicide Squad, and she pushed through a lot of his things in Congress, and then recently she she left that. And again, as I say here on page two, by all accounts, a tough and uncompromising woman, although she faces a fairly hostile committee. Cray, however corrupt, was a senator. Yeah, she seems unfazed because that's Amanda Waller. And that's one thing I love about it, this version of Amanda. Like I said, she, she's this large. She's not very tall, but she's an overweight woman that, that carries her statue well, that nothing phases her. And you can tell she got where she got by hard work and just gumption. I love Amanda. She's a great character. And then we get a flashback before she came where she's got the team gathered up. And she basically tells them that she's going to be going before the court. But most of the team can't won't be, uh, how's it say? They can't find, they won't go find most of the team. First of all, they're not sure who's all on the team. And she won't have to answer as far as who's on the team because of violating national security. And she's going to tell them that they're off on a mission. The entire Suicide Squad's off on a mission. And then we see the crowd. We see Shrike, Count Vertical. I'm going to call him Raven until I get to his real name, if that's not it. Nightshade, Nemesis, Captain Boomerang, Shade, Punch Julie, Duchess, Briscoe, Dr. Light, Bronze Tiger, Vixen. And uh, I like this. Amanda's like, I'll tell them all. I'll tell them you're all off on a mission. And Nightshade's like, but we're not on a mission. You're going to be. And at this point, uh, real quick before I get to that next part. So again, we got Punch and Julie, who's a husband and wife team. And <laughs> Punch, the guy is looking up at Duchess with a goofy grin on his face. Because Duchess, if you haven't been reading, she's this tall, statuesque. She's a beautiful woman, but she's powerfully built in a uh, t-shirt. I, I guess a wife, that green wife beater. And he's just sitting there grinning at her. And Shade, and then you got Ju, uh, his wife Julie sitting next to him. And then next to him, we have Shade, the changing man. He's looking, I'm not quite sure what Shade's thinking. I'm not sure if he's also trying to look at uh, Duchess or if he's wondering how stupid Punch is. <laughs> but the rest of the team's pay attention to Amanda. And as I was saying, so Amanda says, But you're going to be on a mission. And then it says, No, I'm not. I'm out of here. I, I quit. And she, Amanda tells him, you're not going anywhere. You owe this team. And Tresser, he's very upfront. He's like, you know what? No, I don't owe you anything, Amanda. You didn't get me out of Russia. He even flagged it against your orders. And uh, he's, uh, Amanda's like, you leave, I'll give you up to the Senate. <laughs> I like this. Nemesis stands up to He's like, go for it. I'd love to have a few words about them. Tell me how you botched this team. How the Washington fiasco is her fault. How Cray and Toller being dead is her fault. Or her air like this. He's like, none of the Washington fiasco had to happen. Not Cray, not Toller, not Flag, not Deadshot. Your arrogance made it happen. 
She's like, I can make lots. I can make lots of things happen. Trust her. Sit down. Is that a threat? That are you? What are you gonna do to me if I leave? You gonna be killed, Miss Waller? And they just stare each other down. Like, why not? It's your style, after all. I know too much, isn't that right? That could be your justification. The real truth is, you're a boy, Miss Waller. You run the squad by intimidation and fear. You demand loyalty, but give none. You manipulate people and tell yourself it's for the good of the country. All you're doing is playing power games, and I've had enough. Now get out of my way, or I'll pitch you in the hospital. And no one will, here will lift a finger to stop me. Two things about this. One, I love Tresser's little speech here. Again, he's not afraid of Amanda. He should be because Amanda's a very tough and powerful woman, as I've talked about numerous times over the last 24 issues or more. But he stands up to her and, you know, tell her, you know, we, we knew him. He killed. That, that's your M.O. And, again, I don't know if I quite agree with that. She doesn't have innocent people killed, which is a mistake I think they made in the Suicide Squad movie, which I complain about, and in the, the first animated movie, uh, Assault on Arkham, but that's neither here nor there. But I love this panel here in the middle of page five, top part of page five. We get half of Treasure's face in shadows, like, now get out of my way, I'll put you in the hospital. And no one here will let a finger stop me. And Amanda kind of, we get a look at side look at Amanda looking at the team, and everyone else is, for the most part, looking around like, what's going on? Boomerang's in there grinning, and Dutch sitting there smiling. Strikes in there in, mo- in passive because she doesn't know anything about what's going on. Dutch seems kind of look around like, what's going on over there? <laughs> and so she moves away and like, have yourself. Like, trust her. When I finish with settling this to Congress, don't be where I can find you. <laughs> like, you get one shot, Waller. Then I'll come back after you. Slam! It's great. I love this interaction. Ostender and his wife, Kim Yell, did a fantastic job on covering this. They're doing this. I don't know how, how they worked it out, who did the dialogue, but the dialogue, the writing, the whole thing is just excellent. I, I waxed John Ostender's car every episode. Because he's a fantastic writer. I love his work on this. And in the meantime, I didn't really comment on this, but back and forth, we're, tap, we're going back and forth between what's going on in the past and her sitting at congressional meeting, just tapping her pencil on the table, remembering all this was going on, I guess. And Meta tells him, you know, the team, that I'm not justifying myself or what I do. And unless she wants to can leave or go back to their cells, makes no difference to me. And Dr. Light, being the kiss-up toady is all, personally, Ms. Waller, I feel privileged to be here, and I, for one, intend to work to my best of my ability. Oh, shut up. <laughs> and so she lays out the mission, how there's this, um, uh, what was she again? Um, uh, a nun? Yeah, Sister Agnes Martonov. And again, this whole thing is tied into the Firestorm series of this time. Issues, as footnote here, issues 77 through 79. I think that was the Eden storyline in Firestorm where Ronnie and Michael went to Africa to try to make some change there. And they had a very harrowing experience, if you will. It was a great storyline. I enjoyed it. Uh, John Austin was writing Firestorm at the time. This was right before it became the Elemental Man, the natural elemental. So again, since John was writing these two books, he could tie them in together like this. And again, you don't need to have read the Firestorm book because they give you the information you need here. Amanda you know, gives us a big blurb telling us everything about what's going on. And there was a global relief effort headed up by uh, Sister Agnes. Uh, they were hampered by the Renmelo, Renmo gorillas who pose any government-sponsored relief assistance. 
She was taken captive. And again, we got a map in the background showing Ethiopia, Ogden, which we're talking about, Somalia, Kenya. So this is it. And I'm not sure if Ogden, I haven't looked it up, is Ogden a real place or not? But it's right in the middle of Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya. So it's very, I like the way they have the map here showing where it's at. And again, so international efforts tried to release her, secure her release, but it failed. So now the squad's going to do their shot. And it feels that if the squad pulls this off, that the international, uh, international claim, as they call it, should make it virtually impossible for them to close them down. Because if the Suicide Squad can pull this off, save this nun who's doing good, and bring her back, who's going to shut down the squad if they're doing something like that? So... And again, Ben Bronsteiner's like, are we sure this nothing wants to come? Seemed to me the last time we tried to rescue something like this, it blew up in our faces. And again, I love this time period. They actually, they're not afraid of footnotes. The infamous Firebird missions, he issues five through seven. Sort of refers back to the earlier mission when they tried to rescue Songbird and whatever her name was. That I forget her name now. But the Russian gal, and that's when Tresser got left behind. Tresser, Nemesis got left behind. And Amanda said that's why he's asked. she's asked Father Kramer to accompany them. She, he'll be the contact person with Sister Agnes. And Nightshade, did we get a thought from her that that's the only reason she's going or she'd be gone with Nemesis is to make sure this, this, this nun gets out of there safely. And Vixen asked what kind of uh, assistance can they expect from the government? And Waller says none. She's been a thorn in their conscience for a long time. They'd be just happy if she never showed up again. And the boomerang's like, oh, beauty. And she, Amanda's like, you're not backing out of this one, are you, boomer butt? Evans, no, happy to do me pot. Sounds like a first-class Barney. Love it. Strength. There's <laughs> truth. And so as Amanda leaves, uh, she goes over and talks with Flo, who has set up a uh, voice modulator so they can talk with Oracle. Uh, so Oracle's now becoming... I don't know if I'll call her part of the team, but she's coming a part of the team. And I like this. Amanda's like, okay, let's get on the basics. Who are you? And how'd you crack into our system? And what the hell do you want? And Oracle's like, I'm very, I'm someone who is very, very good with computers. And I have access to many places I shouldn't. So I've entered a lot of information. Ask what I want. Think of me as a part of the team. A source. Mm-hmm. I know the names of all the people who work for me. So do I. Shall I list them? <laughs> if you need information, leave me a message in the database and I'll find it. Oh, no blame Flora John for not tracking down the source of this transmission. They did try. Oracle out. And Amanda says, well, did you try to track this bozo down? And Flo says, well, it's impossible. She's got it routed so many, or he, yeah, Oracle. He's got the system routed so many different ways, it's impossible to track her down. Or him down. And I'm kind of blowing who Oracle is, not who, who it is, but it is a female, which we're going to find out at short order who it is. So I am going to refer to Oracle as a her, because I know who she is. And if you've read this book, you know who she is. But, and so she's like, well, who is this Oracle? What, what's it doing? And John's like, it could be anyone, a kid, an adult, even Black Orchid having fun. And he's like, why don't we just, why don't we use the person, whoever it is, you know, and do some good out of it. All right, we're going to use them on my terms. But she wants Flo to create a virus to leave in the system. That way Oracle will pick it up, take back to her system, and maybe... Wipe her out. And as she leaves, uh, 
Simon the Grief followers. Like, man, I want a word. We can talk as long as we walk. I got places to be. And again, that's Amanda Waller. She, she's very motivated. She's very on the go. And we find out here that the Institute for Metahuman Studies at Vandermeer has offered him a position. Uh, well, first we find, you know, we make mention that they gave him Parasite and Killer Frost. Killer Frost got some fruit, got free, caused some troubles. Which again refers to the firestorm. Looks like it's 82. And then he says they've offered a position. He's going to take it. <laughs> like this. I'm getting old and my hearing's going bad. I did not hear what you just said. It hasn't hurt a lot what I said lately. I see these people as patients. You see them as cannon fodder. I won't be a part of this anymore. She's like, don't push me on this side. I promise if you quit, I'll fire associate Miss Hers as well. And he's like, uh, Mern's already quit a man. You never even missed her. She's like, well, I'll send out word to make sure she never gets a job in the field again. He's like, I already wrote her, wrote her a letter of recommendation. And she's like, I'll see it's your own funding gets dried up. With all respect, Amanda, you know, your, own, your hands filled keeping your own job and keeping your own funding. Don't threaten me. And she's just turns to walk. She's like, best of luck to you, Simon. Now get the hell out of here. So again, she's had Nemesis quit, the Grievous quit. She's just found out that Miss Hers has already quit. And Amanda is the person that likes to be in charge. She likes to be pushing the buttons, calling the shots. And so, and the Nemesis just quit. So she's finding out all these people are quitting, all these people are banning her, if you will. It's not doing her a whole lot of good. <laughs> and we've got to the present time where she's been tapping her pencil this entire th- time thinking about all these people that's quit on her. She's like, and she snaps her pencil and the player's like, Temper, temper, child. You only, we talked about this, remember? You lose that temper, you always hill, and you'll big gumble, yo. And he's like, I wish they'd just get started. Marjorie, you get your wish, eh? We just hope maybe you don't wish for what you can chew. And Amanda's like, hey, it's just another fight for survival. It's what I'm good at. And I love this here on page 13. We're halfway through the issue, and the judge banging his gavel because Amanda's like, broke her pencil. I'm getting a little upset, and... This look on Amanda's face is like, oh, I'm ready to tear someone up. <laughs> great scene. Great, great image. And then we got our helicopter coming in, the team doing some small chat. And we got a little backstory here on Shrike. Uh, she got based off a group called the Overlord and Cadre. And apparently it's her attempts to come to grips with God. So now she was in blew up. So she said, this is a gift. Can your spiritual quest? And Victor's like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and, you know, we get Punch and Julie talking back and forth and Boomerang talking to Mr. Uh, Dr. Light. <laughs> and Dr. Light's costume, he's got a head headgear with a a fin on it almost. And Boomerang, seriously though, man, what'd you, what'd you do to wear a car hood on the top of your head? And Punch and Julie do their little thing. They're sitting there arguing with you all back and forth. You've been a very, very naughty girl, Julie. No, I haven't. Yes, you haven't. I'm going to have to hit you with this hammer. Hits her in the head of the hammer. And, she, and he's like, and then you can eat the salami. And they start having their whatever's going on back there. And that's Punch and Julie's thing. Punch and Julie, uh, the original characters are some puppets that would abuse each other. That's where these characters came from as a play on that. So, again, they've got a very abusive relationship, very psychotic. Uh, and they were recently in the, um, which I'll talk about at some point, the, suicide, the newest Suicide Squad animated movie, Hell to Pay. 
Uh, they were right in there. It's not quite the same, but we'll talk about that later. And Raven's like, look at them. Look, how'd your team, how'd your team ever beat my team? And Ben's like, we never fought your team as a, we never fought the job as a team. Only as individuals. The advantage is all ours. Besides, we're your team now. And uh, Ben's like, don't forget, if you should ever turn against us, I will kill you. It's a promise? Mm-hmm. And again, so, uh, there's a few more talk because they land a few hours later. The team disembarks. And we get some scene of Africa and Ben and Mary is talking. And Vixen, Mary, tells us that she was born in Africa after the Just League dispatch, she came here to help out for a while. As we talked about, I believe, a little bit when she first showed in the Suicide Squad, after the Legends of miniseries when the Just League team was destroyed, she returned to Africa for a while, then went back to the United States as a model. And they kind of embrace each other for minutes, and then make their plans. And then here on the bottom of page 17, we get almost the cover. We get the team spreading out. More people than was on the cover, different positions. We get the team spread it out. And there's no guns pointing at him right now. But the team spreads out to take action and find the hostiles. And when they get to the camp, they find everyone's dead. Whether it's civilians or the government agents or whoever they are. The army, the soldiers, that's what we're looking for. The soldiers are all dead. Fires are raging. People are mutilated. It's just a horrible scene here. And Nightshade uses her night powers or her shadow powers to teleport to the different places and looks at a bunch of dead bodies. And they found one native that's still alive, but again, she doesn't speak the language. Briscoe tells them there's some bogeys approaching. And the next couple pages, we get some more fight scenes. I love this on page 20. We get some fighting. We get Duchess firing with her gun. Shrike is shrieking. Apparently, she has some sort of shrieking powers. Again, I'm not familiar with that. One of the few characters I'm not familiar with. Shade uses his invest to make far, fearsome creatures to fight. A great battle. I love it. And I say we get that on the next couple pages, page 21. We get a big throwdown soldiers and Suicide Squad members doing their duty, their job. We have Virgo flying in the air, Dr. Light blasting people with his light. It's just a great, great, great scene. I love Luke McDonald's artwork because I think he's perfect for this. He's got the right amount of darkness for this title, but it's not too dark. Because when you get a lot of these dark type stories, sometimes they get too dark with it. I don't think Luke makes that mistake. He, he does. He has the right amount of darkness to the lightness. So, and then we find out that the government raided the camp two days ago. It took the sister with them, and they're like, "Oh, Vixen's like, what do we do now? Our mission was." To rescue the sister, we define whether these guys are still alive and find out where she's been taken. And <laughs> Boomerang's like, we're going against the government? That's that's nuts. Ben's like, nope, that's suicide, which makes it right up our alley. And then we have over here next to see our troubles. And then we get to the letter. So again, overall, if I go to the letters page, I, I love the art. I love the story. Ron, uh, Ron I'm looking at Ron Steiger to say that. John Ostinger and his wife, Kim Neal, did a fantastic job with both the story and the dialogue. 
I love McDonald's, uh, McDonald's artwork on here. It's just fantastic. It's just a great, great comic. I, I love this comic. Uh, and then to the suicide notes for this issue, where we get an announcement that this will be, where it says, well, this will be Luke McDonald's final issue as Penciler of the Suicide Squad. He's done 24 issues of this, the Deadshot miniseries, and the Secret Origins issue, which we talked about here and over on the Secret Origins podcast. Luke's decided to free focus his energies on his first love, the Phantom. I guess he was going to be penciling anything in that series. And they do have a replacement coming up, Grant Meenum, the fine artist who worked on Dark Horse's American. And then issue 27, they're going to have a very special event. We're going to welcome John K. Snyder III. And Carl Kiesler is going to stay around and do the inking, it looks like. And then again, in the letter column itself, uh, we get the usual people asking for different characters. Uh, someone asks why they keep boomerang around when he's already blowing the whistle on the team, trying to blow the team whistle on the team once. And they're like, well, Captain Boomerang's an opportunist, therefore Amanda better served by keeping him along. Besides that, he's already tried to hurt the team by, you know, letting them know about the uh, Suicide Squad and the Legends. So we're going to see what's going to happen now that the team's existence has been revealed to the public. Uh, they talk about the Mirror Master, which we talked about in issue 20 of the Suicide Squad. Uh, there was a mention that there was a new Mirror Master. It references here that you can check out Iron Man 8 for the new Mirror Master's DCW. I love Grant Morrison's uh, Animal Man. That was a great series. I may have to look over our head speaks at some point in the future when I get some time. But yeah, that was a great series. Animal Man it was 24 issue run by Grant Morrison, or 26. And then it changed writers. It was okay after that, but I think the, the first two years was a fantastic voyage. But back to here, not much else really to say. I'm just looking through the letters column. And yeah, not much else to say real here. Again, they reference uh, next issue. They're going to take on the goons in Ogden. Uh, they reference Manhunter and Flash, which I have my own Manhunter podcast, the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, where odd things are happening, especially Wally or the Flash tries to regain his powers. They mentioned the Doom Patrol, but basically these are books that Robert Greenberger edits. And then next month, they'll deal with the special events coming in Suicide Squad 27, which I mentioned previously. That's going to start the Janus Directive, which we'll get to in a couple of months, our time. And then here at the bottom of the page, it's not nothing related with what I do, but there is a, a ad for the Superman Exile in Space, Adventure Superman 28, or Superman 20 through 33, and then Adventures of Superman 451 through 456. This is when I started reading comics, really. I had just shortly before this, I started picking up the Superman books. I love that Exile story. That was fantastic. Uh, but that's it for this issue. And I guess that's going to do it for this episode. I don't have much else to say. Again, I love Suicide Squad. I think it was a great issue. I enjoy Checkmate. But again, I love Suicide Squad more. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Be sure to you know, send me an email to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. You can leave a message on the Facebook or over on the blog. You can Apple Podcasts, whatever your, your form of download is leave me a rating there supposedly it's supposed to help people recognize and find the show let me know what you think i'd like to hear from you guys go ahead and leave me a message and i'll read them on the air 
But I think that's going to do it for this issue and this episode both. We're going to close out episode 35. Uh, until next time, squad mates dismissed. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just out crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at HeadSpeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under Headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at Task Force X, and also on Google Plus. You can look for Task Force X under People and Pages. Uh, all titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother... (laughs) Well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages.